0: Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the state budget forecast, racial and ethnic tensions in Minnesota, and a fall harvest wrap-up. But first...
1: Today I am announcing that in the coming weeks, I will be resigning as a member of the United States Senate. I, of all people, am aware that there is some irony in the fact that I am leaving while a man who has bragged on tape about his history of sexual assault sits in the Oval Office and a man who has repeatedly preyed on young girls' campaigns for the Senate with the the full support of his party.
0: Senator Al Franken resigned this week after several Democratic colleagues in the Senate called on him to do so in the wake of sexual harassment allegations. Franken was first accused last month by Los Angeles radio host Leanne Tweeden, who said Franken tried to kiss her during a rehearsal for a USO show in 2006. Also, Tweeden posted a picture from the USO tour with Franken appearing to grab her breasts while she slept. After that, several other women came forward with accusations against Franken. As recently as last week, Franken said he did not plan to resign, he apologized, and said,
1: I'm trying to take responsibility. I also am going to be held accountable.
0: Some were critical that Senator Franken didn't apologize to his accusers during his speech on the Senate floor Thursday, though he did address the accusations.
1: Over the last few weeks, a number of women have come forward to talk about how they felt my actions had affected them. I I was shocked. I was upset. But in responding to their claims, I also wanted to be respectful of that broader conversation. Because all women deserve to be heard, and their experiences taken seriously. I think that was the right thing to do. I also think it gave some people the false impression that I was admitting to doing things that, in fact, I haven't done. Some of the allegations against me are simply not true. Others I remember very differently. I said at the outset that the Ethics Committee was the right venue for these allegations to be heard and investigated and evaluated on their merits, that I was prepared to cooperate fully, and that I was confident in the outcome. You know, an important part of the conversation we've been having the last few months has been about how men abuse their power and privilege to hurt women. I am proud that during my time in the Senate, I have used my power to be a champion of women. And that I have earned a reputation as someone who respects the women I work alongside every day. I know there's been a very different picture of me painted over the last few weeks, but I know who I really am. Serving in the United States Senate has been the great honor of my life. I know in my heart that nothing I have done as a senator, nothing, has brought this honor on on this institution
0: hamlin university political expert david schultz says it's an extraordinary fall for the high-profile democrat from minnesota who began as
2: chief writer comic writer for saturday night live not viewed as a serious candidate for the senate who wins perhaps the closest and most drawn-out senate election in american history then goes on to become um, one of the most popular fundraisers and speakers for the Democrats nationwide, who now is brought down again by a career um, that both connects back to some of the stuff when he did when he was still a comic, but even now connecting to things um, in his personal life, in his professional life as a senator regarding sexual harassment. I mean, this is this is a, a fascinating story to look at in terms of his ups and downs, and it's a fascinating story just in terms of the impact it'll have upon. Um, national
1: democratic politics and clearly on Minnesota politics.
0: In his resignation speech before the Senate on Thursday, Franken talked about Minnesota.
1: And most of all, I have faith in Minnesota. A big part of this job is going around the state and listening to what people need from Washington. But more often than not, when I'm home, I am blown away by how much Minnesota has to offer the entire country, and the entire world. The people I've had the honor of representing are brilliant and creative and hardworking, and whoever holds this seat next will inherit the challenge I've enjoyed for the last eight and a half years, being as good as the people you serve.
0: After addressing his decision to step down, Franken used the resignation speech as an opportunity to give a bit of thanks and to look back on his political past, reflecting and shedding light on some of his priorities as he served the people of Minnesota in the nation's capital.
1: I have faith in my colleagues, especially my senior senator, Amy Klobuchar. I would not have been able to do this job without her guidance and wisdom. And I have faith, or at least hope, that members of this Senate will find the political courage necessary to keep asking the tough questions, hold this administration accountable, and stand up for the truth. I have faith in the activists who organized to help me win my first campaign, and who have kept on organizing to help fight for the people who needed us, kids facing bullying, seniors worried about the price of prescription drugs, Native Americans who have been overlooked for far too long, working people who have been taking it on the chin for a generation, everyone in the middle class and everyone aspiring to join it."
0: As he made the announcement he was stepping down, Franken had this advice for future politicians, activists and changemakers.
1: This year, a lot of people who didn't grow up imagining that they'd ever get involved in politics have done just that. They've gone to their first protest march, or made their first call to a member of Congress, or maybe even taken the leap and put their names on a ballot for the first time. It can be such a rush. To look around a room of full of people, ready to fight alongside you. To feel that energy. To imagine that better things are possible. But you, too, will experience setbacks and defeats and disappointments. There will be days when you will wonder whether it's worth it. What I want you to know is that even today, even on the worst day of my political life, I feel like it's all been worth it. Politics, Paul Wellstone told us, is about the improvement of people's lives. I know that the work I've been able to do has improved people's lives. I would do it all over again in a heartbeat. For a decade now, every time I would get tired or discouraged or frustrated, I would think about the people I was doing this for and would get me back up on my feet. I know the same will be true for everyone who decides to pursue a politics that is about improving people's lives. And I hope you know that I will be fighting alongside you every step of the way. With that, Mr. President, I yield the floor.
0: As of airtime for this program, Governor Mark Dayton had not yet announced his choice to replace Franken in the Senate. MNN will follow the story and have all the latest updates when available. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. After a string of budget surpluses, the state faces its first budget deficit in four years, according to the latest economic forecast that came out this week. MNN's Bill Werner has seen some red ink and some black ink and more red ink and then more black ink for the state budget in his time at the Capitol, and he joins us now. Bill, the first thing I want to ask is something that people might not be clear on. Exactly what does it mean when we say the state has a budget deficit?
3: Well, Scott, in this case, it is a forecast deficit. In other words, based on economic information that state analysts currently have, it looks like between what the state collects in tax revenue and what it's expected to spend on all its programs, that is education, health care, human services, public safety, transportation, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, That there is, in this case, a $188 million negative gap, in other words, a deficit, for the current two-year budget cycle, which runs through June of 2019, and there is a $586 million projected or forecast deficit for the two-year cycle after that. So this
0: isn't a definite thing?
3: No, but it's a fair guess based on current information on which way things are going. Budget forecasts are constantly changing things, even from month to month. And lawmakers will get another major data point, if you will, in late February or early March when the next forecast comes out. And at that time, the legislature will also be back in session.
0: So how big a problem is this deficit?
3: Well, $188 million is a lot to you and me, needless to say. But in the scheme of a state budget that's in the tens of billions of dollars, it is a fairly small amount. That aside, financial experts are warning there are some big unknowns that could push the budget further into negative territory. The economy for one, and number two, what happens in Washington, D.C., which could affect federal funding that comes to Minnesota.
2: The status of federal fiscal and budget policy remain uncertain. The risk that our current economic expansion will, continue, will come to an end is real. We must always remember how quickly surpluses can turn to deficits.
3: That's State Management and Budget Commissioner Myron Franz, who points out that the outlook for U.S. economic growth has weakened, along with growth in wages that's forecast. Officials say in addition to tax revenues forecast to be less than expected earlier, spending will likely be higher in nearly all areas of the state budget, most notably for special education. Now let's move on to the politics of this situation as we begin the run-up to the 2018 elections. Governor Mark Dayton says about Minnesota's budget returning to deficit territory after years of surpluses.
4: I'm not casting any blame on anyone here. We collectively cut state taxes and increased state spending, particularly in areas like transportation, early childhood, K-12, and higher education. The health insurance rebate and reinsurance.
3: But House Speaker Republican Kurt Dowd says the increased government spending, which Dayton advocated, caused the budget deficit. Dowd says numbers demonstrate that Republicans' tax cuts spurred economic growth, generating additional tax revenue for the state. But he says there's still a deficit.
5: The revenue is not the problem here. Uh, the spending is the problem. And, and anybody who can read these basic
4: numbers uh, can come to that conclusion. We're not spending excessively. We're increasing spending on education, things that I think are... Vitally important. And if we can't spend more because of an increasing uh, amount of revenue, we can adjust accordingly.
3: Governor Dayton says Minnesota's economy remains solid and only a relatively minor adjustment is needed to balance the budget. But discretionary dollars drying up could cramp some legacy initiatives that the governor wants in state law before he leaves office at the end of next year. One example is Dayton's push for universal pre-kindergarten. But he said this week he's a long way from thinking existing programs should be trimmed.
4: It may not be able to be expanded as I'd hoped the budget would permit my proposing in the next uh, legislative session. But there's nothing in there now that says to me that that would have to be scaled back.
3: With the governor acknowledging that some new investments, as he terms them, might have to be scaled back, we asked Republicans the same question about their number one priority. Will the additional tax cuts they want not be possible with this budget deficit? State Senate Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka maintains pending federal tax reform will erase any state budget deficit through economic growth. And he says the Minnesota legislature should then re-examine whether state taxes are driving people and businesses away.
6: That's something that we always have to look at for our future. Does it make sense that we would reduce spending somewhere so that we could provide more tax relief?
3: House Speaker Dowd echoes...
6: That tax relief will spur economic growth
5: even beyond probably what we have right now. I think that gives us a lot uh, to be optimistic about.
3: But Scott, I want to bring this back to cautionary notes that are being sounded in many quarters around Minnesota. A $188 million budget deficit is a fairly manageable problem for state lawmakers. But Hamlin University analyst David Schultz reiterates two factors that could make that job more difficult.
1: One of them is
2: potential economic slowdown because we've been blessed by having an expansion for many years,
1: and on top of which, possible cuts that the state might sustain if the federal tax reform goes into effect.
3: Hamlin University professor David Schultz.
0: Scott? Thank you, Bill, for that in-depth look. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The partisan divide in America has perhaps never been as publicly apparent in our lifetime as it is now. Sexual harassment along with anger over immigration and clashes over ethnic cultures have become political lightning rods. It's brought more people than ever out to speak out for each side, driving the other side to dig their heels in defense of their beliefs. Our Bic Smith looks at one such situation currently playing out in southwestern
7: Minnesota. Scott, debate flared up again this week over Somali immigration in Wilmer. It became national news in the late summer when an incident at a farmer's market sparked debate over the ever-changing ethnic makeup of our cities and towns. In October, reporter J.P. Cole filed this report on how local residents and authorities We're dealing with the act of one man in a wheelchair.
5: 61-year-old Joseph Fernkis is charged with disorderly conduct for the incident that occurred August 12th at the Wilmer Farmers Market. Fernkis, who admits he does not like Somalis, placed a pickled pig's foot on a table where a group of Somalis were selling vegetables. Muslims are prohibited from touching swine. Fernkis says he then flashed them the middle finger and left in his motorized wheelchair. His attorney said Minnesota's statute regarding disorderly conduct is unconstitutionally vague and Fernkiss acts are protected by the First
7: Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Two months after that incident, this week's Wilmer City Council meeting featured an open forum where Fernkiss appeared in public again and used the microphone to echo earlier sentiments which resulted in criminal charges.
4: I'm tired of them Somalians too in this town. They're taking over the whole damn town
7: and they're... Downtown Wilmer, beautiful downtown Wilmer, my rear end. Another speaker during the open forum referred to Wilmer as, quote, Little Mogadishu. These latest public comments come after Wilmer Civil Rights Commission member Ben Larson criticized Councilmember Ron Christensen for liking racist comments made on a Wilmer woman's Facebook page. Larson says he wants Christensen to denounce racist posts and apologize or resign.
2: I think he should denounce these posts publicly, say that they're wrong, say that his support for them was wrong and then ask for forgiveness from the public. And then he should also take actions to mend the hurt that he has caused in this
8: community.
7: Another local resident defended Christensen and questioned Larson, asking how old he was, where he worked, and if he had ever served in the military. He accused Larson, who was wearing a Bernie Sanders t-shirt, of being a Democrat. Christensen was absent from the meeting and the council did not respond to the comments until the end of the meeting when council member Sean Meske, who is also a Civil Rights Commission member, said he, quote, could not ignore the hurtful, divisive words he heard, but did not think Christensen violated the human rights policy. There was no violation
2: of any human rights policy. However, when you do that, as a public official, you invite response like you heard this evening.
7: Mesky says he was disturbed by the messages from what he called, quote, the underbelly of the city. As for Joseph Fernkis, he faces a charge of disorderly conduct, plus two counts of criminal damage to property, since the Ohio County District Attorney's Office considers the pig's foot a biohazard, forcing the vendors to throw away their $168 worth of produce on the table. As of two weeks ago, a judge had received briefs from attorneys on both sides of the case. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Bick. Minnesota Matters
0: returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The 2017 harvest in Minnesota has essentially come to an end, and as Brownfield's Mark Dornkamp reports, it was anything but smooth.
5: Michael Pettifish, a farmer from Claremont and president of the Minnesota Soybean Growers Association, says overall, the harvest went well.
6: I think if anyone could offer you this type of year at the beginning of the year, I don't know a farmer that wouldn't sign up for it. There were some challenges, seemed to be a lot of breakdowns this year, and obviously it was... Uh, slightly protracted year as uh, people took harvest past uh, normal cutoff dates, deep into November and some even December. But all in all, it was a good year.
5: During the growing season, Pettifish says the plant disease white mold was widespread in southern Minnesota soybean fields.
6: This was some of the worst white mold I've seen in my time on the farm. Very widespread, lots of operators affected, lots of fields affected. Didn't seem to be Particular to any type of system, you know, 20 intros versus 30 intros, early versus late planting, it was just sort of a year where everything seemed to get it. You know, all in all, our, our beans that went about trend-lined, about APH yields this year. Was a, was a fairly average year for beans, but my best beans versus my worst beans, which were affected by white mold, there would easily be 25-plus bushels an acre lost there.
5: University of Minnesota Extension soybean agronomist Seth Knave says Minnesota experienced a growing season similar to other parts of the Midwest.
2: It was just kind of a lot of extremes um, and and localized extremes. We saw, every year is a little like this. We've got, we've got drought and we've got floods and we've got hail and we've got everything somewhere, but it seemed like this year we just had a little bit more of that. We had certainly more large hail events than i've ever seen before i think i did five or six emergency hail meetings around the state and the most we've ever done is two or three in a year so just from a hail standpoint um and then the very large rains that we saw you know six plus inch rains a numerous times in numerous individual locations um you know cool august conditions the warm september uh it's or warm September, I mean our warm August conditions. It was just just strange all the way around uh, this year. And so I think that I think our soybeans are really confused and didn't know exactly where they wanted to go this year. Um and um I guess I'm I'm relatively pleased that, you know, that we had the yield stability that we did that we that that the yield the yields tended to do as consistently well as they did everywhere despite the tough conditions that we had.
5: The USDA is forecasting record-high soybean production for Minnesota at nearly 400 million bushels on an average yield of 49 bushels per acre. The forecast for corn, 1.38 billion, is 11% lower than a year ago with a statewide average yield of 183. Minnesota Extension corn agronomist Jeff Coulter points to weather as a key driver again this season.
8: From a yield standpoint, uh, yields were exceptional in a lot of places in southern and central Minnesota. Uh, There, in western Minnesota, particularly in west central and even more so in the the far northwest, it was very dry in some of those places, um, particularly kind of near the uh, pollination period, and that had an effect on yield. But for the most part, um, in a lot of the corn growing parts of Minnesota, corn yields were excellent, and uh, we were very surprised, but I think it comes down to... You know um the weather, and that we had relatively timely and uh sufficient rainfall uh the air temperatures never got too excessive for too long, and it was just a a relatively comfortable growing season for corn uh the harvest was you know later uh than many of us would have liked. It was wetter it was challenging uh but for the most part we're through it and uh it looks like uh the 2017 season is uh, pretty much uh, winded down or being wrapped up now with uh this uh, wetter and uh, colder weather that we're getting this week. So overall, it was uh, a good season, but it ended uh, difficult or you know with, with its uh challenges, but uh we're through it, and uh, I'm optimistic about uh 2018.
5: Minnesota Corn Growers Association President Kirby Hedfer, who farms west of Wilmer, says most farmers in the state probably dealt with the same ups and downs he faced this year.
9: Starting the spring, we got behind uh, right right from planting. We liked it, in a typical year, have our corn in uh, before the first of May. Uh, this year, we did not start planting corn till uh, till after that point. So from there, we got set back the the summer. Um, was relatively relatively cool, and we were behind on growing degree units right from the get go, um, and that progressed all throughout the summer. Thankfully, we had a great uh, September uh, and early October that helped uh, get corn to maturity, and uh, we were able to start harvesting uh, shortly thereafter.
5: And for all the curveballs Mother Nature threw at Minnesota farmers this fall, Hedver says he's thankful for a mild November
9: after Thanksgiving. Uh, the weather was what it was, and, and we are able to get that last-minute stuff finished up, you know, the, the final tillage or, you know, checking the fields, redoing lines or checking intakes, making sure, you know, things are ready for the next year. If we wouldn't have had that window after Thanksgiving, a lot of that stuff would have been put off till next spring.
5: And speaking of next spring, Scott, hetver says he's already busy planning for 2018, with continued low commodity prices weighing heavily on the bottom line.
0: Thank you, Mark. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.